This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Simply Vegan podcast with me, Holly Johnson, and my co host, Gabriella Clark. Each week, we'll be bringing you all the latest vegan news, as well as interviews with some of the top names in veganism. Hello, Gabriella. How are you? Hi, Holly. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm really good today. I'm feeling hopeful for the future. I've, I must say this year has been very taxing on my mental health, as I'm sure it has been for, mm. you know, people all over the world. Um, but to um, to hear today that they've got a, a 90% um, success rate vaccine for coronavirus is, um, is very exciting and certainly cheered me up a little bit. Yeah, what a leap, especially as we're uh, week one of lockdown two. It's nice to have that sort of news as we uh, endure our second lockdown. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it just gives you a bit of hope for next year, doesn't it? Definitely, definitely. That and the fabulous news that has come out of the US. Yes. Um, yeah, obviously, don't want to get too political. But, um, <laughs> you know, the news that Biden is um, looking to rejoin the Paris Agreement on climate change as one of his first jobs is definitely something else that's made me <laughs> truly happy. Lots of positive things in the news, which is rather unusual for 2020, I would say. So, we should ride the high while it's there. We should, yeah. <laughs> As always, every week we discuss the weekly news, don't we? So I thought mm. we'd perhaps talk about the news that the UK Health Alliance on Climate Change are calling for a climate tax to be put on meat by 2025. Um, and also looking at uh, lab- the labelling of food so that like we get warnings for, you know, this is high in sugar or high in fat. We could have labelling on food that um, warns us about its impact on the climate. What what do you think about this? I think it's fabulous, especially the labelling. I think being able to see that in that kind of black and white way, the impact the food you are buying is having on the environment. You know, many people, I'm sure, know that to some extent the meat and dairy industry is having an impact on the environment. But 
are they thinking about that when they're just doing their weekly shop? Probably not. But then being able to see it on the packaging might be enough of a trigger for people to think, you know what, I'm going to buy an alternative, whether that's a vegan alternative or just completely choose something else or something with a lower impact. I think it's brilliant. And I do think it's the sort of messaging that A, will be effective and B, it's completely time for as well. It's, it's, I completely agree with the labelling. I think that's a fantastic idea just to, you know, obviously when you're shopping, you like you say, you're just trying to get it done, aren't you? Mm. Especially with coronavirus around, the last thing you're perhaps thinking is about, you know, the climate crisis. But with just having that, that labelling there would really sort of trigger you to think, um, to be more aware of your choices. Um, with the tax, it's a tricky one. I guess you could look at lower income families and, and you know, and say, you know, are they going to be um, worse off with um, with a tax like this in place? Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, we we discussed. I think it was last week, wasn't it? The the lower priced range at Aldi, which is great. Things yeah. like um, the vegan chicken nuggets and fish fingers for ninety nine p. So I think, you know, if if a tax is going to be in place, we need to make sure there are those plant based alternatives at a good affordable price for lower income families completely agree because for some people as you say making you know to some extent it's a privilege to be able to make the decision to buy something that doesn't have an impact on the climate so I think the labeling is is good for people who are able to make that choice but like you say the tax I have no doubt it's going to be controversial and I completely agree with you. Lots of factors need to work together to make sure, you know, if the tax is there to reduce consumption of meat, to protect the environment, great. But also then protecting lower income families or people who can't afford to be making those decisions, giving them more climate friendly options at a budget friendly price. Yeah, I guess it's about education as well, isn't it? Because, you know, a lot of people know that the impact that meat has on the climate, but a lot of people out there don't. And I think, mm. you know, the more we can get that into mainstream media, the better. Mm. I think it's a really interesting point. And I, I'd be really interested to see the way in which they will label it, because I think the way in which uh, nutrition, you know, with our traffic light system, to some extent, that's very easy to read. You can easily work out the calories, saturated fat, salt, sugar. It's very easy to see when it's high and low. Um, so I'd be very interested to see how they manage that message in a way that is informative and does what it needs to do, but isn't controversial or alienating, as I think sometimes is the danger. Yeah, it, w- it would be great, wouldn't it, just to see, you know, perhaps a, a one to five kind of rating on on the foods Mm. that you're buying because I think even if you are vegan and even if you are constantly educating yourself on the impact of whatever food you buy even if it's not meat it could be nuts from you know almonds from California or you know it just helps the consumer doesn't it because we're all time poor and we just don't have time to research every single product that we buy so that would be fantastic. I think that's a really interesting point as well that it's easy to think you're just sap a big red cross on meat and dairy but actually there's other products that have an impact like you say things like almonds um so applying it across 
across all food groups, all categories would help everybody make a, a better informed choice. And, you know, like I say, I do think we're at the point where we need to be making better choices before it does become even more of a climate emergency than it already is. But again, respect that in some way that is a privilege to be able to make that decision for some families. I think as well, I was reading the article and there was a line that stood out to me that said, you know, coronavirus has taken over our lives this year, but coronavirus will pale in insignificance compared to some of the effects of climate change that we expect to see in the very near future and when you put it like that I mean there's no doubt that everybody has been really extremely affected by this virus whether you've lost your job you've lost a relative you've not been able to see a family member as often as you were you know there's been so many impacts that to think that something can come along and have even greater an impact is is terrifying. And if there's ways that we can prevent this, I'm I'm sure most people, if not all, will want to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hopefully, it'll add momentum to the um, to the campaign. You know, for mm. action on um, climate well, climate crisis is the phrase they're using now, isn't it? Mm, quite. Um, some more slightly depressing news was um, that of 17 million mink in Denmark being culled um, because um, coronavirus was spreading and mutating amongst them. Um, obviously, we don't want to depress <laughs> all our listeners today. Um, but we I think... started on such a high. <laughs> <that they> were... <laughs> What's happened? I know. But... Um, you know, again, if there's anything good that can come out of such a horrific situation and, you know, I just cannot comprehend 17 million mink, you know, mm. all in cages. I mean, you just with Denmark, you think of it as being quite a progressive country, you know, to think that they've they're still operating a, a fur industry on this scale is quite shocking, I think, for a lot of people. I have to say as well, and I mean, maybe it's as a result of the sort of media that I choose to consume, but I'm really continue to be surprised by the fact that there is such a demand for the fur industry. Mm. I seem every time I, I see a, a big fashion brand or a label coming out with a fur item, the backlash is so huge. And I feel like I see more brands coming out and saying we only work with faux fur or fake fur we, we have a commitment not to use real fur so um maybe it's just my naivety but I'm so surprised there's still that level of demand I mean 17 million in just one country must be such a small small size of of what's going on as well it's really shocking yeah as I was saying hopefully this will you know bring awareness yet again to the problems of you know cramming millions of animals into cages and close confinement and the spread of these diseases mm. you know I just I'm just so passionate about ending things like this factory farming transportation of live animals it's um, mm. something that really kind of gets me fired up so you know I think at least we can one good thing can come out of it is that it is coming into the mainstream media and people are waking up and having their eyes open to what is going on and you know 
hopefully we can start to bring an end to it. I agree. I think half of the uh, the battle is having making sure that that news is heard and most if not all people would be shocked to hear of that and I and I'd be hard pushed to find anyone who could justify the culling of 17 million animals to justify something as frivolous as an item of clothing so yeah completely agree just having that sort of news make the mainstream media is hopefully going to be really effective really powerful. So The last piece of news we were going to discuss today is the court case that Oatly have been involved in. Um, Mm. Now, it's not it's not straightforward as ever. So it's basically relating to their tagline, isn't it? Mm. So their tagline that they are looking or have applied for trademark for, which has been denied, is it's like milk, but made for human. Yeah. So I think the ruling has been that people already know that milk is for calves so they you know they shouldn't be allowed to use it however I I don't know what how I feel about this um obviously if you think about it sit down and think about it you know that cow's milk is for calves but but actually how conscious are people of that I I really don't think that it's it's in your mind when you are buying cow's milk in the supermarket if anything as well I think there's a stronger association with drinking milk and being a human baby yeah (laughs) I when I think about drink drinking milk or somebody buying milk to drink maybe not in you know adding it to a hot drink I always think about a human baby or a child and and actually that's that would be my first uh, connotations which is crazy yeah so um whilst yes I'm sure everybody knows the fact on paper that primarily milk that comes out of a cow is for a baby cow but is that your is that the first place your mind goes probably not I I when before I went vegan I just did not I just didn't think about it at all you just no. go in and you buy your cow's milk and it, the choice is whether you're going to go for I think it was red skimmed blue blue was full fat and they were literally my considerations I was completely Mm. ignorant to the whole industry my mum lives near to an agricultural college in Dorset and um, they they obviously have farm animals there and as you go sort of down the road you can see all the calves they're all in a shed together and they they're just sitting there it's it's sort of this sort of an eerie silence as you walk past and so it, sad. It, it is it just hits home that they have mm. been taken away from their mothers so that their mothers can be milked you know <laughs> endlessly so that we can drink their milk it's bizarre when you think about it I mean I have to say I think the tagline from Oatly is quite provocative and I really like that personally I've been buying less and less from Oatly because of their their recent investment uh, revelations I imagine that's a subject for another day but (laughs) I remember seeing their advertising uh, when I used to work in London and commute a lot I used to commute through King's Cross station and they took over an entire corridor of the underground at King's Cross 
um, with their advertising. So huge billboards, huge big advertising banners as you walked through the tunnel and it was all using their slogan about saying, you know, it's milk, but made for humans. Um, and I think I was newly vegan at the time, actually, but I like it. I think it's provocative. It makes people stop. And, you know, yes, this this court case is arguing that um, consumers know cow's milk is for calves. But like you say, that isn't your immediate thought. And mm. and I kind of like where it encourages you to, to take your thoughts and maybe question it. And yes, it's provocative. But for some of the big brands playing in plant based or vegan food and drink, I kind of feel like it's their role to do that yeah 100 percent. and you know if consumers already know that then what's the problem with using it as their tagline <laughs> mm. yeah no i agree i agree we're hoping to to um taste test some cheese next week which will be um which will be lovely i cannot tell you how excited i am about taste testing vegan cheese i think i've probably <laughs> mentioned vegan cheese almost every episode <laughs> and it really is. I am on a constant mission to find the greatest of vegan cheeses. So uh, short of sitting next to my letterbox, <laughs> since we heard it was on its way, I am very excited to try this. <laughs> oh, that should be a good episode then. We'll both um, yeah, we'll both get the, the crackers out and um, give it a try in time for Christmas. It's a hard job, Holly, but someone's got to do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Next up, I speak to vegan athlete and director of Fry's Family Foods, Tammy Fry-Kelly. Hi, how are you? Hello, good morning. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Oh, so you're joining us all the way from Australia? Yes, yeah. All the way from sunny coast of Australia. Oh, you're so So. lucky. I know we are so we're so fortunate um it's a beautiful place to live and uh especially now with um COVID uh we we're pretty lucky over here life is almost as per normal you know it's almost yeah everybody's just just doing their thing um we haven't had any cases in the state for a while um so we're very very lucky oh that's amazing we've just gone to our second lockdown so so let's hope for a better 2021 though I mean definitely yeah hopefully the worst of it's over so I'll start by mentioning a few of your credentials because there's it's quite a long list (laughs) so you're director of Fry's Family Foods um nutritionist public speaker karate champion and you run your own blog so (laughs) what's a typical day like for you um it's pretty hectic (laughs) but um (laughs) no no more hectic than I think I think everybody um in today's world is busy you know it's just one of those things um so yeah my my typical day is getting up at about 5 5 30 and I take my children surfing so we spend a lot of time um, they, they're both very keen surfers or frothers, as you call them here, and <laughs> grom frothers, as you call them in Australia. Um, so I take them down to the beach early. It's always a good um, start for me. Um, I've read the 5 a.m. club, so I'm a big fan of that, getting up early and getting a, an early start. Um, and then, uh, you know, 
just a typical breakfast. I suppose I'm very health conscious, so it's usually a smoothie um, of some sort. Um, and then I start work around nine, nine to about one, and then I, I take a short break around lunchtime and get do my home chores and usually make dinner. If I haven't already batch cooked on the weekend, I'll make dinner. And then um, and then I, I'm really working again from about 3 p.m. Uh, onwards to maybe midnight um, or 11 p.m. most days. So um, working across time zones is obviously a little challenging at times. Um, but, you know, I still consider myself lucky. We're in an amazing space. I get to do what I love every day. I get to live my purpose. And that's a lot more than other people can say right now. So I'm just grateful. Yeah. Oh, sounds fantastic, but very busy. <laughs> so what led you to train as a nutritionist? Well, um, I think my interest in nutrition started um, when I was quite young, actually, probably around age 15 or 16, because I was an athlete already at that time, I was already doing maybe three or four hours of training every single day. So um, quite unlike most teenage girls, and I was doing karate, which is a pretty um, intense um, martial art. Um, so yeah, I started to, you know, a lot of people were judging the fact that I was plant-based and that they thought that I would get more strength um, if I was eating an a omnivore diet. And so I started dabbling in different diets, fads, and really doing my research in, in terms of proteins, amino acids, um, supplementing. Um, and I was determined to make it because there was no ways that I was like, <laughs> I've been a very passionate vegetarian in, in my early years and later vegan, um, you know, and there was no way I was going to eat animals or animal products. So it just wasn't going to happen. But, and at the same time, I really wanted to be successful in my sport because I realized that that was the way I was going to inspire other people to change. Um, because I don't believe that you can change a person's diet um, as such, or, or that you can, um, that you can get people to change just by sharing, you know, information about animal rights issues or about the environment. It, it really needs some sort of inspiration. Um, for somebody to move over and to change their habits, which is so difficult to do. So I knew that in order to change people, I would have to be very successful um, in my sports. And I drove myself very hard to achieve that and, and eventually did uh, represent in my country for many years in the senior national team at, at many international events. And I think that's when I actually saw it working. You know, people started asking me about what I was eating. Like, what are you eating? How are you getting results? So I saw this big change and shift from uh, my early days where I was being criticized to later on when I was actually being, when I was successful, uh, people asking me, how, how did you do it? You know, what are you eating? So um, that's where my nutrition interest started. And then it's just grown from there. I've, I've been, you know, yeah, I'm a bit of a nutrition geek, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've become a little bit like that since going vegan. Um, so you were raised as a vegetarian then, but your father was a meat farmer. Yeah, he was actually, he was a goat farmer um, okay. in South Africa, and he was raising goats for slaughter um, and selling them um, to the community. But there, there's a lot of, in South Africa, goats are killed for ritual slaughter um, and offerings and things like that. Um, and so he was selling the goats. Yeah, and I mean, I was very, like, 
I was born to to just love animals and protect them. And so I would name members of the goats. And because they had a name, they had now crossed over from being, you know, a unit of currency to a pet. And uh, I would have all these goats that were named and, and would fight really hard for them not to be slaughtered. Um, so, you know, it didn't cause problems. I think my father's always been a very um, conscious uh, human being and always willing to learn. And I think he, you know, he learns a lot maybe from me as his daughter because he was open to change and he started to inquire about his own belief system because he grew up as a South African farmer and who ate meat three times a day and who believed that you needed meat to be strong and healthy. And so there were times where he would say, you really need to eat steak because you need to be strong and healthy. Um, but later he did change. And uh, he, he, that's where fries actually started. That's how fries started. It was in our kitchen and trying to replicate meats to make his transition easier. So it wasn't actually about this being a commercial project. It was to make our family's plant-based lifestyle easier. Wow. Um, and we, that we would get all our nutrition, we would get all our protein um, that we needed, all our amino acids, um, without having to make life difficult you know it just had to be easy simple um fast convenience um and you could still stand at a barbecue and put something on the barbecue instead of standing at the salad table this is a long time ago this is going back to 1989 so he was definitely a pioneer yeah um, in the plant-based space i think fries was one of the first plant-based meat products available yeah so it was your mum that was the vegetarian my mum was also a vegetarian. What was it he was experimenting then in those early days? What was he, what foods was he using to kind of create meat replacements? Well, you know, he had no food knowledge, so he wasn't a scientist. Um, he was just um, passionate about finding his own personal solutions. And he would go to the health shop and buy a few things from the health shop where all the hippies were hanging out, you know, he was going there and he was buying a few spices and, and different ingredients and wheat gluten and soy protein. And he was bringing them home and he was mixing them in our Kenwood chef, you know, like mixer. Um, we had um, some AMC cooking pots uh, where he, and, and a two plate burner. Um, and he would, he would actually start, you know, just mixing ingredients and testing different recipes and trial and error and trial and error and tasting and trial and error um, until he started to get something that actually resembled a little bit like meat. And uh, he just got more and more excited about it. Um, and, and our first range of products was um, our original burger, brass sausage, which is like a barbecue sausage, a traditional sausage and a hot dog. And those four products are actually still on the shelves in South Africa selling. So um, developed, you know, in our home kitchen back in 1989 <laughs> with nothing but a mixer and a few basic, um, you, you know, kitchen kitchen tools. Uh, so it's it's amazing how how the, the stories progressed from there, you know, to now, where we have 50, 60 product SKUs in across 27 countries, mainstream retail like Sainsbury's and Tesco's, Morrison's, um, so and Ocado. And so, you know, it, it's changed a lot. At what point did you go vegan then? Holly, it would have been at least I don't have a vegan anniversary so <laughs> a lot of people have a vegan anniversary uh, so for me it was just 
it was just a transition and it was a natural transition because I think as you inquire and I've got an inquiring mind so as you inquire and you gain more knowledge and you're open to learning and you're open to changing you naturally you know when you know better you do better and when I knew better I did better and uh, so I probably 10 years ago about 10 years ago so so quite a long time ago but you know, up to there, I was I was living in South Africa. We didn't even have soy milk, or there was no there were no alternatives. And and I think because there were not, none available, um, I never inquired. You know, yeah. and, and so it's it's a funny thing that now that there are more plant based meats available, and that vegan is such an easy transit step to take, and the transition is very simple, and you don't have to give up really anything. Um, it, it's allowing people to start looking at, at animal agriculture for what it is and saying, I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't necessarily agree with uh, the way we raise animals. Um, I don't necessarily agree that the diet that we've been on and that our belief system, uh, you know, they're starting to challenge uh, things that they've grown up with because there are options now. I mean, the market has changed so much in the past 20 years, hasn't it? I mean, how, what changes have you seen? with the business oh wow yeah I mean 20 years ago I was standing at school in a classroom with all my classmates being the only vegetarian in a school of about a thousand girls and having my classmates pray for me because it was against the principles of the bible to be vegetarian um to today (laughs) where this is actually a trend and, uh, you know, people are really excited about looking at plant-based foods and understanding how nourishing they are and how beautiful they are and diverse and beautiful recipes that you can make. Um, so there's definitely a massive shift. I mean, for fries uh, 20 years ago, we were still doing what we're doing now, but now we're doing it on a much bigger scale because we've seen incredible growth every year, uh, not because we've had the huge marketing budgets that some of the other bigger, big corporate companies have, but because we produce really good tasting food um, ethically and with a set of values that align with our own as people, as a family. Um, And so people have really supported us. They've been so loyal um, to us and, and we've just grown from strength to strength. Um, now, you know, in 2020, we've recently been acquired by the Live Kindly Collective, and uh, that's allowed us to really scale up our production, treble our outputs, bring in technologies that we didn't have access to before. Um, and it's, it's really exciting because you're going to see so many amazing things from Fries over the next 12, 24 months. And um, I just can't wait to bring those products to market, the more sustainable packaging to market and, and help more people to, to make this shift to a more conscious and compassionate way of life. Oh, I'm really excited to see what, what you're going to be bringing out. What, what are your most popular vegan products? Um, well, we've got, you know, we've got probably 50 or 60 different uh, product SKUs, but I think some of the, some of the original products um, are still popular just because they were there first, but we're seeing now with some of our new product launches, like our big fried burger, which is amazing. It's such an incredible product. I, I, I think it's up there 
if it's not the best, it's one of the best burgers in the world. Um, it sizzles just like meat. You know, we're using new technology again. Um, it has incredible mouthfeel. It's just a very advanced um, and an, a replica of meat. Um, and then, of course, our nuggets are famous all over the world. Um, people love our nuggets. And then our sausage rolls as well. Our sausage rolls do very, very well all over all over the world, the schnitzels. Um, and even we're seeing a really good growth with our fishless fillets because I think um, the seafood, you know, people that are becoming more aware of the state of the ocean and the ecosystem and the degradation. And so they're starting to look around for seafood alternatives. So our fish is also growing very nicely and we're seeing a lot more interest in that space, which I'm very thankful for because that's a major passion of mine is the ocean and protecting the ocean. Yeah. I really like the fishless fillets. They're really good. Oh, um, thank you. And you've saved, so you estimate you've saved 21,000 fish this year oh it's was a lot more than that i think oh, really? um, yeah I, i'm not sure where that but uh, we've yeah we've we've it would be a lot more than that it would be in the millions probably around three million. Oh wow uh, yeah so yeah it's it, it's amazing to think that you know we can have those that those kind of impacts if people are choosing plant-based foods over meat products and that's how we measure our success every single year is in the number of animals lives that we save um because for us that's our measure of success we we were never set up as a company we were never there uh in with the mission of of being profitable um our mission was very different and and we always place principles before profits that's our mantra it's up on our wall in our office um is to make principled decisions um and you know and not decisions purely based on if it's a profitable decision or not. So, um, yeah, we're a little unorthodox um, in that way. But um, I think that's what makes us, you know, unique and special and, and authentic. That's such a wonderful way to measure success. How many animals <laughs> you've saved. I love that. So it's a real family company, isn't it? So as sort of new generations have been born, they've kind of come into the company as well. Yeah, well, um, my mum and dad are actually still involved in, in some way, um, but it's definitely a second generation business now. Um, I head up the uh, global brand and then my sister Haley is involved with the NPD. She's heading up NPD for the Live Kindly Collective. And then Sean, my brother-in-law, he's also involved um, as the GM for Australia. Um, so yeah, it's it's very much the family are all very much involved. Still, um, we're still driving our mission. Uh, we're lucky to be with the Live Kindly Collective, who share our vision and our mission, um, and just want to help take the brand that next level. Um, so yeah, it's it's it's. I would say it's a it's a hundred percent second generation now, and hopefully the third generation joins soon. I know my son is an, an absolutely passionate about animals. Um, and he he wants he he asked me when does when is David Attenborough going to retire because he thinks that might be quite a nice job to have <laughs> the, the dreams of eight year olds. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so lovely. It's a big dream, but he's yeah he he's very very passionate about about animals and wildlife and farm animals and rescuing animals. So let's see. Hopefully, he does join. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So tell us about your work with Veganuary. 
Well, Fries have been working and supporting Veganuary since their inception, which would have been six or seven years ago now. Um, and I've been an ambassador for the campaign for that long. Um, it's, a, you know, I think Veganuary is a phenomenal concept. Um, it just, it's a great timing. You know, people have this really gluttonous kind of December eating and drinking too much. And it's a, it's a, it's a really great time to kind of reset your diets, consider trying new things um, and uh, exploring plant-based foods. So we, you know, we worked with Veganuary from the very beginning, even when there was only a couple of hundred people signing up, just because we knew that this was a great way to advocate. Um, it's also not a high expectation. We're not asking everybody to go vegan forever. Um, we're lowering the bar of entry to veganism. And I think that's a great form of advocacy. And I think if you expect people to do everything, they'll usually do nothing. Um, I always say perfection is the enemy of advocacy. So veganuary is a nice little gray area. You know, you can dabble in it, you can give it a go, and then you can decide if it's for you or not. And, you know, veganuary have a statistics that they release every year. And they're finding that I think 73% of people who do veganuary actually stay vegan. So that's an incredible, you know, that's incredible to get that kind of result. I mean, imagine, you know, 2 million people signing up and having uh, 1.4 million of those people actually sticking to it. Yeah. Um, that's creating massive change. Yeah. It's brilliant. I, I wonder how this January's campaign will go. Obviously, with COVID and everything, it'll be interesting to see, won't it? I think it's going to be a big one. I mean, we're 100% behind them. We have got our teams on the ground um, and we're working hard to make it. You know, we've got some big numbers. Our, we've got like our own little targets on our boards about how many signups we're going to get. So, um, yeah, let's, let's watch and wait and see how we yeah. all go. Aiming high. <laughs> Aiming high and collaborating, you know, with so many other brands as well in the space, which I love because I think uh, we, we need to be working together, you know. We're going to have strength in numbers and uh, to work in silos or on islands is, is not going to be helpful uh, for, for our mission. So alongside running fries, <laughs> just a <just, you> know, <laughs> small part-time job, um, <laughs> You, you run your own blog. Yeah, I've got a blog um, called Seed Blog. Um, yeah, it's called Seed because I've always said, you know, um, yeah, I think advocacy is about planting seeds. Uh, you cannot take responsibility to change somebody's life or habits. But if you can plant a seed um, and then just let that, you know, maybe help help grow grow that into a bigger plant and eventually maybe into a tree and just through supporting people through their transition. So seed blog um, was an idea that I had a few years ago, just, you know, to put recipes up um, uh, things that, you know, things that I had learned on my journey, having plant-based children um, going to school, you know, different situations that I had to deal with um, plant-based pregnancies um so just little stories you know it's just a personal project a passion project so your next project you're releasing a new book I am <laughs> I haven't spoken about it much because I've been pretty nervous about it but um I am I, I published a book with Penguin in January um I think it's only been available in the UK in March but it publishes in South Africa in January um 
again, it just uh, it just happened. You know, I was capturing recipes, sharing them with friends, and it just kind of grew from there. And uh, the book is really all about helping, you know, flexitarians, not vegans, but helping flexitarians to make that transition um, a little bit more on supplementing, a little bit more on batch cooking, gut health. So it's a lifestyle book, but it also has 70 or 85 um, beautifully photographed chef tested recipes. But for everyday cooks, you know, like for moms, it's, it's quick, it's easy, it's made using ingredients that you'll probably have in your pantry on your kitchen. Um, so it's it's really intended to support people. It also has a, a, a meal plans and each recipe has a guide um, that will help you to build your own meal plans. So it kind of breaks down the recipe into macros, like proteins and carbohydrates and greens and fruits. And, uh, and you can then build your own meal plans quite easily using that guideline. So um, it's really intended to support people um, in their journey and I think that's that's what you know. That's really what I was born to do is to to help people and and support them in any way I can because ultimately I just don't want people eating animals <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so um, I'll do anything I can uh, to 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 fulfill that that kind of life purpose. Oh, so inspirational! And I've had a little sneak peek of the book. Actually, it looks beautiful. Really nice book. So really exciting to see the the full copy next well we'll have to wait till March in the UK I'll be sending you one I'll be sending you one was was there anything else you wanted to talk about um you know not really I think um it's just really exciting for us at the moment to be aligning with uh, Live Kindly Collective and there's some great things happening with the collective we've come together with Oomph and Like Meat which are now our sister brands and uh, we found a real success in working together. Um, and, you know, we have we have a, a unique difference in that we are going to be um, growing our own. So we're going to have a seed to table solution where we're growing our own crops um, that are carbon neutral, carbon positive. Um, we're working very hard to find more sustainable packaging solutions. And then we have um, we're working with strategic partners to scale our businesses at a very fast pace because we really believe that, you know, change needs to happen now. Unfortunately, there is no time left. Um, In the past, I always said, you know, it's okay. You just do it in your own time. But now the urgency is, it's becoming more urgent. People have to start considering how they live their life and, and the impact that they're having on the planet and the impact that they're having on their own health even. Um, you know, we're seeing one in two people with uh, with chronic lifestyle disease in the world. That those that We've never seen that before. I mean, that's, that's just too terrible to think that half of humanity are sick. Yeah. And it's because of how we how we eating our food and and how we buy what the foods we're choosing to put in our mouth and the way we're living our lives. So, you know, there's a lot of urgency here, and so the Live Kindly Collective feels that urgency and uh, wants to make change happen at a mass, much faster rate. So, um, you know, I, I think watch the space. Uh, hopefully, we can bring a lot of people on board with us, um, and 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 continue to get the amazing support we do from our, our consumers and I think I also like to take the opportunity to thank every single person that might be listening to this podcast who eats our products you know just to say thank you so much because 
I would not be sitting here today and Fraz would not be here today if it wasn't for those people who have just been cheering us along all the time and through all the hard times that we've been through as a family and building this company out of our kitchen with really no capital investments at all and you know just funding it ourselves Um, so to all of those people I just like to say massive massive thank you Um, it it just we could never have done it so it's really been a team effort um, from you guys and from us to make it happen thank you so much for joining us today Tammy and thank you so much for all the work you do to you know saving animals and saving the planet (laughs) thanks Holly thanks for the opportunity and um, I'm sure that when I'm in the UK we can catch up that would be lovely (laughs) well that's it for episode five of the simply vegan podcast join me next week when I'll be chatting to Anique Ireland from Immaculate Vegan imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.